into our series called Unoffendable. And so if you've been following along or this is your first time with us, we started this series a few weeks ago. And we based it off of this book, which a guy named Brent Hansen wrote. And he simply called it Unoffendable. And he introduces this idea that we should become unoffendable, that we should let go of our anger. And uh, we just felt like it was super challenging and helpful. And uh, so we've been encouraging you to read it if, on your way out. If you want to get a copy, we got it for five bucks, which is like a third of the cost you can get online and on at, at Amazon at least. And so uh, I would love for you to read that. And I just found it thought-provoking and helpful and interesting. And so uh, we've been teaching kind of some of the big ideas and themes from that book. And it's all kind of grown and, and taught from Scripture, from what God teaches us. And so um, we've talked about letting go of anger and different things, and today we're going to talk about forgiveness, which is everybody's favorite thing to talk about, right? Like, nobody really likes to forgive anyone. We don't want to have to do it. We're not really good at it, right? And uh, so forgiveness means you are recognizing that you were wronged, right? So that's uncomfortable. You don't want to think about it. You'd rather bury that. Or, or, or it means you have to let go of a grudge or anger that you're holding on to. Because if you're like me, when someone's hurt you or wronged you or offended you, you want them to, like, make up for it. Or you want them to grovel at your feet, to, to apologize, to beg for forgiveness, you know, to admit that they're wrong. And so forgiveness is like a touchy, uncomfortable subject that we'd rather ignore. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. And um, no one naturally is good at forgiving. It's natural to be angry. It's natural to hold a grudge. And, uh, but we're going to see that we have an opportunity for supernatural help in this area and actually healing for ourselves in this area. But um, if you're like me, when you forgive someone, you feel like uh, you, you've lost out on some sort of deal, right? Because it's like you're letting them off the hook. Like imagine if, if you remember back to when you were a kid or if you have kids, right? You coach your kids to apologize to each other, you know? And so like the one kid's over there like kicking the ground. He's like, mom says I'm sorry, you know, or, or whatever, right? And like, and you got to coach the apologer to like apologize, apologizer to apologize well. Uh, but you also have to coach the, the other kid because what happens is they think they're supposed to say, it's okay, and you're like, no, you don't have to say it's okay. You know, she really was mean or he really was wrong. Like that it was unacceptable. You don't excuse their behavior. What you want them to say is, I forgive you, right? Like you've probably coached somebody or been coached in this because you're not supposed to say, oh, it's okay. You can punch me whenever you want, right? But you're supposed to say, even though you were wrong, uh, I, I will not hold it against you. I'm going to let go of my anger. I'm going to forgive you. And so um, this is what we are talking about today. And the reason that... Um, we're talking about how we're called to forgive is really two things. First, it's that we are called to forgive. Scripture is very clear that we are called to be forgivers, to forgive other people. It's not easy. It's not natural. It's not really fun. But this is what we're called to. But beyond that, we're going to look at how like ludicrous and audacious it is. Uh, how we're called to forgive also shows the extent to which we are called to forgive. That Jesus has some crazy thinking and some crazy commands to us on not just that we should forgive, but the extent to which, how far we're supposed to take it. And uh, it's challenging, but it's so good for you. And so if, if you are uh, a believer, this is a command. If you're a Christian, then Jesus says, my followers should be forgivers. 
and I'll show you how far that you're supposed to actually take it. If you're not a Christian, if you don't have a, you know, you're not a believer in God, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're watching from wherever you're at, at home or wherever you're at. Um, and I would say this, that if you try to put into practice what we're talking about, this is like really good, like life-changing advice that I think that you'll feel better and you'll be better at relationships. Uh, but you're not like, it's not expected of you. It's like a bonus if you can do that. But as Christians... We're told clearly through Scripture that we are called to be forgivers. And then uh, some audacious thoughts about the extent to which we are called to forgive. Okay? And so we're going to look at like how absurd those words are. But first, it's, what's amazing to me is this isn't just a Christian thing. This isn't just a, a, a Bible thing. Like as Christians, we believe it. We hear Jesus talk about it. We see it's very clear through, throughout Scripture, especially throughout the New Testament. But um, if you read uh, like books or see counselors or, or listen to experts in the psychology world, even like unbiased, non-Christian, unspiritual, non-religious people will tell you that forgiveness is a huge deal. That you need to get to a place where you can be a forgiver if you ever want to experience healing and Books and non-Christian people would say forgiveness is necessary. That you have to get over that grudge. You have to let go of that anger. And, and this, this would almost be unrelated to a relationship with Jesus. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to do it. But even if you're not a Christian, this, if you're a part of a 12-step program or anything like that, they're going to help you, coach you towards you've got to like, find it in your, in your heart to forgive. And you will feel better. And uh, so anyone kind of from life experience and common sense realizes that forgiveness is necessary. Now, this shouldn't surprise you. It doesn't surprise me because God, our creator, designed us that way, right? I believe that there's one true God. He created the heavens and the earth, all the animals, and he made humans. And he made humans, man and woman, special in his own image, different from all other creatures. And he designed you as a relational being, which means when we hurt each other's feelings, when we get in each other's way, when we take offense, we have relational issues that other animals don't even feel. They don't have those kinds of emotions. They don't have that kind of rage. They don't hold grudges, right? Like the animals don't experience this. The animals don't need to, nor will they ever apologize to another. You don't see like a lion apologizing to another lion like, sorry I ate more than my share of that zebra yesterday. That was insensitive, right? Like, I forgive you. No, they don't have those thoughts. They don't have those conversations because they weren't created as relational beings like you and I. And so God designed us to operate best when we forgive and, and, and restore relationships. And not only did God make us that way, but Jesus told us that we're that way. So about 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked and he taught and he spoke and he pointed people towards God and a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people. You know, as a church, we want to be a community of Christ followers who are real with God and real with each other and real in the world. And he told us this is how you should live. This is what's good for you. This is how I designed you. Forgiveness is necessary. And then he tells us some commands about how that fact that we're called to forgive. This is what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is a crazy a crazy couple of sentences. Maybe you've heard these. Maybe you read these. Maybe you kind of skip past them. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us what we call the Lord's Prayer. If you went to you know, church as a kid or Catholic school, you probably memorized the Lord's Prayer. And there's that one part in the middle that you, like, you kind of like 
get real soft when we say it out loud because I don't know if we're going to say forgive us our debtors or our, our sins or our transgressions or some other weird word that we don't usually use. And so like no one knows which translation we're quoting when we quote it together. But uh, Jesus does this prayer. You know, our Father who's heaven, we, we love you, give us our daily bread, all this stuff. And then he says, you should pray like this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then after he teaches that prayer, he says this. And he wants to like reiterate this idea. Almost like the only thing that's unforgivable is being unforgiving. Now, I want to address that because Jesus is not saying that if you don't forgive someone, you lose your salvation. Because Jesus clearly teaches, and New, the New Testament clearly teaches that uh, when you have a real relationship with Jesus through faith, when you're a true believer, your salvation is secure. In the New Testament, you see kind of different terms for salvation and forgiveness, and, and there's different parts, there's different aspects of I'm saved from my sin, I'm justified before God because of what Jesus did, but I'm growing in that relationship. And so there's this idea that uh, this doesn't change your justification, that if you're a believer in Jesus, your, your eternal ticket is punched. But there's this other idea that sin gets in the way of our relationship with God. It's a barrier in our communication. And so we're also told in the New Testament to constantly confess our sins and receive forgiveness. Not because we've lost our salvation, but because we need to come clean with God and receive the, you know, the washing and forgiveness and, and the re restoring that relationship. We need to do that regularly because we continue to sin. And so he says, and I just want to highlight this really clearly, what he says is, if you forgive, your heavenly Father will also forgive. That's good news. But the opposite is true. If you do not forgive, your father will not forgive. That's a tough teaching. But how hypocritical would it be for a Christian to say, God, please forgive me all my sins, even though I can do nothing to make it up to you. And while I'm about asking you this, I'm still ticked at her, and I refuse to forgive her for this one thing when I, you forgive me of all my things. This is a tough teaching, but we see that we need to be good at forgiving. Jesus told us so. Another time Jesus is talking, Luke chapter 7, and he says this, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And now, now Jesus uses this, this number seven, and in their culture, seven was this idea of complete. It wasn't like Jesus is saying, when you get to number eight, you can let them have it, right? Like, that's not what he's teaching. He's not telling you to keep score and count up to seven, and then when you get to eight, you're off the hook, at least till tomorrow, because seven, you know, I guess they get seven each day. But it, it, uh, he's saying that as his followers, we are called to forgive, to be forgivers, to be forgiving, even when people wrong us over and over when they're legitimately wrong, as his followers, you must forgive them. So it's pretty clear that we're called to forgive. Um, but I want to look at also uh, the extent to which we're called to forgive. Because I look at this statement and I'm like, Jesus, but what about that whole, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Like, isn't that wrong if I keep letting off the hook? That's not a Christian saying, you know. That, that might be kind of wise in some ways, but he's saying, no, fool me twice, I forgive you again. Fool me eight times, I'll forgive you again. Because that's how Jesus has forgiven me. The other thing is, uh, Jesus told us so. But more than that, Jesus modeled it too. Okay? Jesus told us that we should give people, forgive people, and he forgives people. And this is what's really cool about Jesus. He never tells us to do something that he doesn't also do himself. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. And he did that. He said, you know, love the people who persecute you. And he did that by laying down his life to save the very people who were crucifying him. 
You know, he tells Peter, come on out and walk on the water. He's already doing it. He doesn't tell anyone to do anything that he doesn't do himself, which I just think is cool. It gives him this sense of moral authority that he can actually tell us how to live. Not only did he design us and he knows what's good for us, but he's modeled it. He doesn't just say it. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. I love being a youth pastor. I loved a lot of things about, you know, all that that involved and, and hanging out with high school students and junior high students. But one of my favorite parts was uh, playing games and making up games, right? So we would have these awesome youth group games. Sometimes they were like a game show. Sometimes they were like a stunt. Sometimes they were athletic or trivia-based. Like we tried to like make it, but I, and I loved just inventing games. And so uh, I would invent all these different kinds of games that different kids could play and watch and laugh and like bond over and compete through. And, um, but I had this conviction that, you know, I never wanted to ask or make a student do Aware that they're in a room full of peers and peer pressure and like they have to do what the mighty youth pastor says. I'm not going to, because like some youth group games, they get like really nasty and like you're not a cool youth pastor unless somebody pukes. And I really, I wasn't about that. I didn't want to have to mop the stage anyways. And so uh, I just felt like I'm never going to ask a student to do something that I wouldn't do. So the different games you make up, there's prizes and sometimes there's these penalties. And so I was making up this one game and I and, uh, had all these like funny things that would just get, get people like excited to watch. And one of the penalties was you got to like swallow a fish whole. And because uh, I'd heard that you could do that and live and stuff, and I had never done it, so I thought I should do this. Who am I to make some, you know, 13-year-old scared in front of his friends eat this fish, and then his mom's gonna call me the next day? And so I went to the store, you know, before we ever played the game. I'm like, I guess I gotta try it. Bottoms up, and I swallow this goldfish because I'm like, I need to know what it feels like wiggling its way down my throat, and like if I live to see the next day. And then if it's all good, we'll totally make students do it. So we did that game. Another time I made up this game, and I'm certain that Jimmy Fallon stole this one from me, okay? Before Jimmy Fallon ever had a show, I made up a game I called Boiled or Spoiled, where it was like parents versus their kids and trivia, and if you got the answer wrong, we had this one of our leaders in a giant chicken mascot. He'd come dancing out to this hillbilly music, and he had a dozen eggs, and they were all mixed up. Half of them were hard-boiled, half of them were raw. And you choose the egg, and he smashes it on your head, right? I'm like, this is going to be hilarious, right? And so I'm like, everybody's going to love this. And then I started realizing, you know, I don't have to, like, crack an egg real hard when I'm cooking, but what if the shell cuts your head? Or I don't, how hard you got to smash it? Like, I don't know what it feels like. So I boiled up some eggs, and I took some raw ones with me, too. And I said, hey, my wife, Cherry, we, you need to smash these eggs on my head because... I think I'm going to play this game in a couple weeks, and I don't know what it feels like, and I can't ask somebody else to do it. And so she's like, this is ridiculous. And so we're out in the front yard, and she's smashing eggs on my head because the raw ones, like, they go shooting out messy, and the hard-boiled ones, it's like, you got lucky, you know. But I needed to know how it felt if I was going to make somebody else do it. And I remember she's like, I can't imagine what our neighbors are thinking right now, you know. These two idiots are smashing eggs on themselves in the front yard. And Jesus is the same way. He doesn't just tell us things. He does them himself. He never asks us to do something that he doesn't do. He models this forgiveness. This idea of, I love you even though you don't deserve it. I forgive you even though you were wrong. I forgive you even though you, you, you were wrong many, many times. Even though you promised you wouldn't do it again. He models it. I love that about Jesus. But it's better than that. He doesn't just tell us to do things that he's done. He won't tell you to do anything that he hasn't done for you. He made it personal. He doesn't just show you how to forgive other people. He's forgiven you. You can experience that yourself. You know that you're a sinner. You know that you don't deserve his forgiveness. You know that you can't make it up to him. You know the joy of this amazing salvation that he offers. It's not just that he forgives some people. It's that he's forgiven you. He made it 
personal. And I love that about Jesus. So forgiveness is necessary. This is something that even an, uh, an unbeliever would kind of say, yeah, from common sense and life experience and listening to experts, like, we know this is true. The problem is, so often, as Christians, we're the ones who have been forgiven, right? If you're a believer in Jesus, you believe that your sins are forgiven, he won't hold them against you, even though that's what you would deserve, that you get to go to heaven, even though that's what you do not deserve, and so often Christians are as bad or worse than anyone else in the world at forgiving others. Think about it. Forgiven people should be the most forgiving people, right? I mean, that just makes sense. If my sins have been forgiven, I have eternal life in Jesus, the most amazing news in the whole world, unbelievable joy that comes from it, how can I not extend that grace to someone else? Forgiven people should be the most forgiving people. And as Christians, this is what we need to get right. This is what we need to grow in because it's good for us, and this is how we will show the world the God who loves us. You can make it even more simple and just say this, forgiven people forgive people. At least this is what we're called to do. This is what we're supposed to do. We don't always get it right. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. But as forgiven people, we need to forgive people. Because this is what we owe them because of what Jesus has done for us. And I would even say this. When you don't forgive, you're the loser. See, because I feel like when I forgive you, I'm losing, right? Like, I've conceded in this battle. You didn't earn it right with me. I didn't get to even the score with you. I feel like a loser, but it's just not true. I don't know if this is you. If not, then you know someone who is just kind of angry and miserable, and you see it on their face, and you feel it in their relationships. Anger and bitterness and rage will ruin you. And when we learn to let go of our anger, when we learn to forgive like Jesus forgives, then we win. And so we think we're really going to, you know, stick it to them. I don't know if you're a cold shoulder person or if you're like a revenger or whatever your strategy is. But when we don't forgive, we lose. And it's counterintuitive, but you know it's true. The opposite is also true. When you choose to forgive, you win. You, know, you feel like you're letting them off the hook, but you feel better. You are better. You live better. You represent God better. You win. You know, God doesn't just tell us to forgive other people because it's nice. And sure, it blesses them, but he knows that it blesses us. That when we forgive and, and, and give up our, our, our right to be offended and angry, we, we benefit. And God knows that we work best this way. We feel better. He designed us this way. So it's very clear that we're called to forgive. I want to look at some um, crazy things that Jesus said that show the extent to which we're called to forgive. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 18. If you've got a phone with a Bible, we're going to read uh, a story that he tells. And it's a little too long to throw on the screen, so uh, you can't cheat. Uh, so open up your Bible or your phone or whatever you've got to Matthew chapter 18. And Jesus would tell parables. A parable is simply a story that Jesus tells to make a point. It's a made-up story. Uh, it might be something that's believable. It might be realistic. But it's a made-up story that he tells to make a point. And typically, one of the characters represents God. And one of the characters represents you and me, the listener. And he teaches through stories to really drive his point home. So he's told us that we should forgive. He's told us we should forgive, you know, stop counting and keep forgiving. But he tells this story so that we can feel it in our guts of what he's called us to do. So Matthew chapter 18, this is called the, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Or I'm going to actually read from the New Living Translation. And it calls it the parable of the unforgiving debtor. But um, here it starts in verse 21. 
Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, I don't know, maybe Peter was like listening that one day when Jesus said, even if they've uh, sin against you seven times. So Peter's like got his journal and he's like, that's number six. You know, two more and you're going down. You know, I mean, the, Peter's like, okay, Jesus, I'm actually doing what you said. And so when I get to eight, am I off the hook or what? And uh, honestly, I think Peter's thinking like, nobody actually does this. You know, if I forgive you once or twice, I'm a horse. You know, like no one, like I I'm already doing great, God. I just kind of want you to see that I've forgiven someone seven times because I am a rock star. And look what Jesus says in verse 22. Verse 22. He says, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. So now you got a new, like, now you need a few more pages in that journal to keep enough tallies, right? And Jesus is not saying uh, whatever, I don't know, I'm not going to have to ask my son how to do that kind of math. But it's like a billion or something. So 70 times seven, whatever that number is, uh, when you get past it, then you get to, like, unleash your wrath and stop and start holding grudges and stop forgiving. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is it's an uncountable unnumberable amount. You are called to forgive every time because that's how I've forgiven you. And so he tells a story to make his point. Verse 23, Jesus says this, therefore the kingdom of heaven can be, can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now, they didn't have dollars. They had different types of money and coin. And so you're, if you got a different translation, it probably says like exactly what it was called with a footnote to tell you like that would take them lifetimes to pay back. But he takes this amount of money that like you just wouldn't have. And you wouldn't have in two lifetimes. You couldn't just save it up, you know, maybe once you stop paying your house. This was an unpayable debt. An, an, an enormous amount of money that he would never be able to pay back. Millions of dollars. Verse 25, he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Now that would have been allowable by their laws. That's why, like if you owed someone money, they could be imprisoned, they could be sold as slaves, they could be like your indentured servant. You know, this was like how they took care of things back then. This is before they had like, you know, big chubby cousins with baseball bats to go knocking on your door or whatever. And so, um, but look what happens, verse 26. But the man fell down before his master and he begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. He's begging for mercy, but he can't, even if the guy says, okay, I'll give you 10 more weeks or 10 more years or 10 more lifetimes, he will never pay back this debt. He cannot do it. But he's just asking for more time. And look what happens in verse 27. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him, and he forgave his debt. He doesn't, he doesn't even give him more time. He doesn't say, okay, I'll check in with you, you know, a year from now, or I'll give you a 30-year mortgage. He says, you know what? I forgive it. You owe me nothing. We're square. I cancel the entire debt. This is amazing forgiveness. It's a great story, but it gets worse. Check it out. Verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Okay, significant. If I owed you a few thousand dollars, you would remember that, right? You would know what it was for. You'd know when I owe you. We might have a payment scale or something. But I could pay that back if you gave me some time. And he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. And his fellow servant fell down before him and he begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. It's interesting. He begs him the same request as he made to the king. Verse 30. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. And again, he was in the right, according to their law, to do that. That's what you could do to someone who time was up on the loan. 
But look what happens. Because you and I know, like, who is this slime ball? Like, how dare he? Like, when, you, when Jesus tells a story, we feel it in our gut. He gets at the heart of the issue and he speaks right to us and it's crystal clear. And this is why in the story, in verse 31, when the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that happened. Then the king called in the man that he had forgiven and he said, you evil servant. And when you hear the story, you're like, yeah, he is evil. Like, this guy is messed up. He deserves this. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as he had mercy on you? And then the king, the angry king, sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And we hear that story and we're like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, that guy was a jerk. You know, he had this amazing debt forgiven and, he, and then he holds a grudge against this other guy. Like, how dare he act like that? And then when Jesus is done with the story, he says this in verse 35. That's, why my hev- that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Uh, the NIV says it like this. This is how, after the story, Jesus turns back to the crowd. Story's over. This is just for you. This is how my Father... My heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. See, he told us that we should forgive, but then he drives it home with this story that we can't miss the point of. It is so clear. You and I are the debtor. We have an unpayable debt. We can never pay back to God. We can never make up for our sins. We are helpless and hopeless, doomed for hell. And Jesus lays down his life. He makes a trade. He offers you a trade. His perfection for your penalty. We don't deserve it. We could have never made it up to him, not in a thousand lifetimes. And so we cling to it. We say, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is almost too good to be true. I can't imagine. This is amazing grace, you know. And he says, if I've forgiven you that completely, even though you didn't deserve it, even though you could have never paid it up to me, I've forgiven you an unpayable debt. Then how dare you not forgive others when they've wronged you? You'll never forgive someone else as much as God has forgiven you. And so he says, how dare you? Think about it. What's more hypocritical than a Christian who refuses to forgive someone else? We, the forgiven, should be the most forgiving. Forgiven people should be the most forgiving people. That's Jesus' point. How dare we accept God's unlimited forgiveness and not then offer forgiveness to others. I would say this, the best case that someone could make against Christianity is to see unforgiving Christians, to see forgiven people not forgiving. That's, that's hypocrisy. That turns people off. Not only do you feel better and live better when you decide to forgive, but you are the greatest witness for God's kingdom because forgiven people should be the most forgiving people. There's nothing more hypocritical than a Christian who in one breath celebrates amazing grace How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And then turns around in the next moment and doesn't offer grace to the next wretch. And sure, that person's a wretch. They're evil. They're messed up. They're mean. They hurt your feelings. They they scarred you deeply. But if we say amazing grace who saved a wretch like me, then as Jesus followers, we need to turn and offer that amazing grace to others. In his book, Brant Hansen says it like this. The cross simultaneously stands as a constant reminder of his willingness to, quote, pay the bill and as an indictment on us when we are unwilling to do the same for others. And we celebrate communion. We we cheer and, and, and relish the cross. 
We thank God for his grace, and the cross reminds us of what Jesus did for us, but it also calls us to do for others to the same degree. I want to go back to this, this verse that we've kind of looked at throughout the series. It's like the theme verse. In, in Ephesians, Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of believers. And he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. And he lists some other things. He doesn't say hold on to it for a few days or if they really deserve it. He says, get rid of all. And in the next verse he says, instead, be kind to each other. Tender hearted. And look what he says. Instead of being angry, he says this, forgiving one another. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. It's not, that ju- it's not just that we're supposed to give. The extent to which we're supposed to forgive is the same way that God forgave us. I did not deserve it. I could never make it right. It's way more than I could ever pay. It's an unforgivable debt. Even when I know better, I still sin. Even when I said I'll never do it again and made all these promises to God and I still sin, he continues to forgive and forgive and he's forgiven completely. He laid his life down once and for all that he could forgive all my sins. And then he says that is how you're supposed to forgive others. Uh, In another letter that he writes to a different group of Christians, he says almost the same thing. Uh, Paul says now in Colossians, now is the time to get rid of anger and rage. And look what he says. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. I love this. Paul's like, listen, we're humans. We're relational beings. You're going to hurt each other's feelings, sometimes on purpose, sometimes on accident. You're going to be offended. You're going to be angry. You need to make allowances for each other's faults because they're a human. They're flawed, just like you. It doesn't make it right that they're mean or angry or bitter or better, but like uh, forgive anyone who offends you. And then he says this, remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others. When we remember how completely, how miraculously, how amazingly gracefully God has forgiven us, that is what will give us the grace and the love to show someone else. One more quote from the book. Ray Hansen says this, When you're living in the reality of the forgiveness that you've been extended, you just don't get angry with others as easily. When our focus and our worship and our heart is on Jesus and what he did for us, the grace that we've received even though we don't deserve it. It helps us be more forgiving to others. So let's not be a community of Christ followers who loves the cross for ourselves, but forgets it for others. Let's be real with God and real with each other and real in the world because when we get this right, not only will we feel better, but we will be the kind of people that other people want to be like. They will want to know the God that you serve. The God who gives you not a natural ability to offer forgiveness, a supernatural ability to offer forgiveness because that's how he's forgiven us. We need to be unoffendable. We are called to forgive. So as we wrap up, I just think, you know, maybe you've seen these verses a thousand times. Maybe today is the first time you've seen these verses. It really doesn't matter. The real thing that matters is you ask God, what does this mean to me? God, what do you want me to do about it? Whether I've heard it before or I've never heard it before, what do I do now that I know better? That I've seen the teaching? That I felt it in my gut when you told that story? What does it mean to me? And maybe you're the person who you need to make significant effort to forgive a specific someone. Maybe it's been a long, long time. And you have a legitimate scar that you have carried and lived with because of something that someone did. Maybe they have never shown remorse. 
They've never said they're sorry. They don't deserve your forgiveness at all. But you know that you've got this grudge. You're holding on to your anger that you're carrying. And you know that Jesus is saying you need to forgive them, not because they earned it, not because they're so good, but because I've forgiven you. And you need to pray about that, ask God for the strength, spend time worshiping God for who he is and what he has done for you. It's the only way that you'll find the strength to actually offer forgiveness to someone else. But this is what your Heavenly Father is saying to you. He's saying, I designed you to operate best without holding on to anger and bitterness and grudges. I have forgiven you completely. You did not deserve my grace. So you need to forgive as I have forgiven you. Not because they deserve it, not because of, uh, you know, they can earn it, but because of the love and the forgiveness that you've experienced from me. Now maybe you don't have a real specific someone and this, this big grudge, but maybe if you're more like me, you just get angry real fast, but you don't forgive it nearly as fast, right? It could be like a spouse or a coworker. It could be a perfect stranger. It really doesn't matter. When someone, you know, gets under your skin and offends you, you're just not real quick to forgive. And I think Jesus would say the same thing to us. I designed you to operate best when you don't hold on to anger and bitterness. I've forgiven you completely, and you didn't deserve my grace. So you need to forgive just as I've forgiven you. Not because they deserve it, but because that the love and the forgiveness that you've experienced from me. See, you could be a bomber, you could be a bottler, you could be a bee, or you could be a burner. And you can hold your anger and refuse to forgive. It's not good for you. It's not good for the kingdom of God. It's not good for what we claim to be true. And the people around you know if that's you. They know to give you some space when you're ticked because, you know, you're just not going to forgive yet. And uh, we need to take that to the cross and say, God, give me the strength and the love and the grace to show someone else. Lastly, if you're here, if you're watching online, maybe you've never experienced that forgiveness yourself. You've never had a, a moment where you decided, I am going to trust Jesus as my Savior. I'm going to ask God to forgive me for my sins. I, can't, I realize that I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And it's as simple as that. When you admit that you're a sinner, that Jesus is the only way to receive the forgiveness of your sins, then he will come into your life. He will forgive you of your sins. You will experience what we call the joy of his salvation. That you say, holy cow, I could have never, I had an unforgivable debt, but he's forgiven me all my sin. You can know that for yourself today when you believe it in your heart. And he will forgive all your sins. He laid his life down as a once-for-all sacrifice that all your sins would be forgiven when you confess to him and say that you want to follow him. He promises you eternal life. He will come into your life in a personal and powerful way. And it's amazing. And you don't need to go home or turn off your computer today without realizing that Jesus loves you and, he, and you can accept the gift of his forgiveness. So I want to close by praying. And I just want to pray over each of these kind of categories that I laid out. And I don't know which one you are or if you're somewhere in between, but I want to give you a chance to um, listen to your Heavenly Father and respond. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your uh, audacious words. We don't, we don't naturally want to forgive, and we're not naturally good at it. Father, I thank you that you've forgiven me all my sins. And I thank you for how crystal clear you made it that I need to then be a forgiver in return. I pray that you'd help me to do that. I pray that you'd help me to do it well, to do it from my heart, to do it quickly, to do it routinely. I want to represent you that way. 
And that's the way I want to live because that's the way you've designed me. God, I pray for anybody right now here or watching who has experienced significant hurt and carried real pain for however long. And they know, as hard as it is, that they need to do some real effort to forgive a specific someone. God, I pray that they would bring that to you. I pray that you would meet them in that, empower them by your spirit to find love for someone who may be unlovable. Maybe they've never even shown remorse, but we can still forgive. God, I pray that your spirit would empower right now. God, for all of us who just, uh, it's easier to get angry than it is to let it go. It's, it's, it's easy to get angry quickly than it is to forgive quickly. I pray that you will help our focus be on the cross and all that you've done to us and, and done for us. And we can remember, if you've forgiven me that perfectly and that completely, then I can get better at offering that kind of forgiveness to others. And Father, right now, I pray for anyone who doesn't yet know you as their Savior. I pray that your spirit would help it click in their mind and in their hearts right now that they need a Savior and that you are that Savior. That they would believe with all their heart that Jesus, you are the Son of God. You paid the price for their sin with your life. That when we believe in you by faith, you make us new. I pray that you would make that happen. That they would have that discussion with you and know today that they are forgiven. Thank you for the gift of forgiveness. God, I pray that this week we will go and be forgivers in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Hey, thank you very much and uh, have a great rest of your Sunday.